What's going on, Chapel family? It is good to see you in the house of God this morning. A lot of good stuff going on at Chapel. As you walked in, we had a lot of baby bottles sitting on the tables in the main lobby. No, we didn't have a whole bunch of kids overnight. These are a fundraiser for Show Save Life, which is one of the great not-for-profits in our community. So they are a pro-life pregnancy center, so they help everybody. But they walk uh, young women, older women, women who are in a situation that is devastating for them many of the, much of the time. Uh, they walk them through the process. Even if they do have an abortion, they still walk them through and love on these women all the way through. If they have their children, they walk them through the first two, three years, and women still come back. And this is a great fundraiser. And so all we're asking you to do for them is grab one of these baby bottles on your way out, Take it home, fill it up a change, and bring it back for Mother's Day so we can get that to Shoals Save a Life. A lot of good stuff going on. If you have a Bible, so you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3 in the Old Testament. Uh, you can scoot back that direction as we continue the series, Hearing the Voice of God. Uh, hearing the Voice of God has, has been a game changer for my life and just finding my affirmation. I was preaching a revival this weekend. I just told them uh, kind of my story, my background. And if I didn't have the voice of God to affirm my identity and my love from God the Father, I wouldn't be able to be who I am today. It's that voice of affirmation that brings that strength in the inner man for me. But sometimes it's hard to hear or discern what God is actually saying. And so we're going to figure out who's in the room this morning. So if you grew up with a TV that you actually had to go get kitchen products to use the TV... I mean, you had to find some aluminum foil. So I grew up, you know, early 80s. We didn't have cable TV. And during the summer, if you're at Grandmama's house, you knew what you were watching. You were watching The Young and the Restless and then Bob Barker when he came on. Like, you were guaranteed. At home, we only had three stations. And those are a little fuzzy. You had to tweak that thing. And so during the summer, I'd watch PBS, which was Reading Rainbow. That's where I learned how to read. 321 Contact, where I learned science. Mr. Wizard is where I learned that science trumps theories all day long. But also, Roy Rogers and Will Autry, or Gene Autry. Great cowboy shows. But every time I was watching them, I'd have to get up halfway in between because it would go fuzzy, and I'd start losing the signal. I'd have to get up and adjust the antenna. I keep saying antenna because I preached a series called Antenna, and everybody made fun of me because they said, you sound so country saying antenna. I'm like, I grew up poor white trash. Like, I'm lucky I can speak at all. In 10, you'd have to adjust it. You'd have to put aluminum foil on it. Why? Because the signal was there. You just weren't connected to it in the perfect way. And so you'd have to adjust the antenna in order to get the signal more clear so you could pick up and see and hear what was going on on the TV. In the same way in our Christian walk, when God is speaking to us, sometimes we need to get up and adjust the antenna of our heart. We need to adjust how we're positioning ourselves to adjust how we're listening to God. Instead of trying to get God to adjust, we need to adjust to hear what he's saying in our lives. So if you would stand your feet, I want to read 1 Samuel 3 to you. If you have your paper Bibles, thank you. If you have your iPhone Bibles, uh, good luck when the battery goes dead. 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, this is a great scripture on hearing the voice of God. So if you're trying to learn more, just dig into this chapter. And a lot's going on. Samuel is here. His mom, Hannah, dedicated. She couldn't get pregnant. She told God, if I get pregnant, I'll dedicate my son to the Lord. She got pregnant. She dedicated, literally dropped him off at church for the church to raise him. The, the prophet here, the pastor, the priest, Eli, had sons who had rebelled against him, who should have been the ones that had been the next priest or prophet 
of Israel, but this young man, Samuel, who had been dedicated to the Lord and left at the house of the Lord, is now in the presence of the Lord. It says this, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Everybody say, to the Lord. He wasn't at church trying to get God to minister to him. He was ministering to the Lord. In the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. I mean, the word was rare, but it was not extinct. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down where? In the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, which represents the presence of God. He was lying down, making him himself at home in the presence of the Lord. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. So God's calling him. God's speaking to him, but he thinks it's Eli. And he runs to Eli and says, you called for me. Here I am. He said, I didn't call you. Go back. And so he goes back and the Lord called again to Samuel. He said, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed. So he didn't even know the Lord yet. He was ministering to the Lord and did not know him yet. If you're a minister, you need to grab a hold of that. That you can be ministering to the Lord and not even know who he is. You're going through the motions, the traditions, the, you're watching what everybody else does and mimicking what other people are doing. We're in a day and age where everybody's in church was mimicking other churches because they don't know the Lord themselves. And you need to know that you can minister to the Lord and not even know who he is. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall speak, say, speak, Lord, for the ser- your servant here. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. You know what that tells me? No, many, no matter how many times I refuse to listen to the Lord, he keeps talking. He literally spoke three times and then spoke a fourth time. He was trying to get his attention. It doesn't matter how far you are away from God. He will always try to get your attention. He said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I'll fill fill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice and offering forever. Meaning, you better make sure your house is in order. Eli didn't sin, his sons didn't, but you know what he did? He just let them keep doing what they wanted to do and never corrected them. Parents, you have a godly responsibility to correct your kids. You know, we have four teenagers, our kids hate us. But you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm pleasing God more than I am teenagers who don't even know what they want. Eli was judged by God for allowing his kids to pretend like they love God, but blaspheming with the lives they were living. And God said, Eli, this is your responsibility. So Samuel lay into the morning, because that's a tough word. Eli's like a father figure to him, and now Samuel has to go to Eli and share this word with him. He lay into the morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, 
What was it that he told you? I mean, there is no preliminary conversation like, did you sleep well? You know, hey, wait, what'd he say? Mm, I hate those conversations. Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Father, we thank you that you are a father who speaks into the lives of your sons and your daughters. And I pray in this room today that, Father, we, we can humble ourselves not to try to get you to move closer to us, but that we would have a desire to move closer to you. That we would adjust the, the attitudes of our heart. We'd adjust the attitudes of our minds to adjust to pick up what you're speaking to us in this day and in this time and in this generation. So Father, let your words be clear. Allow your words to jump off the page right into our hearts. And Father, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Samuel's in a rough spot. It's a good thing and a bad thing. God is speaking to him, but then he has a responsibility to obey what God has actually spoken. See, the easy part is hearing God. The hard part is obeying what he actually tells us. And so he was hearing God, but he couldn't discern that it was God. It took him some time to mature and discern what God was saying. And part of listening is this. Listening is an attitude of the heart. Anybody with two ears can hear, but listening is an attitude of the heart. Samuel or Eli and his sons were in the same house of the Lord. They were in the same location. They're in the same area. They're in the same presence, but they couldn't hear the voice of God because they had ears to hear, but not a heart to listen. And we tell our kids, I'll say something to them, hey, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Do this. Can you do that? Hey, why did you do this? What time are you going to be home? And they they don't listen. Like they look at you with this, look like I see you, but I don't hear you. And so I'll say, are you listening to me? And they'll say, you heard, I heard you, which one makes me mad. But two, I'm like, no, no, I don't need you to hear me. I need you to listen to me. Listening is an attitude of reception. Meaning I'm paying attention to what you're saying. I'm receiving in my heart. See, hearing has to do with your ears. Listening has to do with your heart. I'm focused on what you're speaking and saying to me. And listening is this attitude of the heart. And if you have the heart adjusted correctly, you can adjust to hear what other people are saying. In the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, Covey said this. He said there's five styles of listening. He said one is spacing out. Which means you're there, but you're looking at the birds, you're looking at the TV, you're looking at everything else. Two would be pretending. You pretend like you're listening, but you ain't listening. Husbands, that is you. Selective listening means you're only listening for what you want to hear. That is called teenage listening. Word listening is where you're listening just for certain words because you already have a response planned out for them. Or self-centered listening where you're just hoping to get something out of it or you're wanting to communicate what you want to communicate so you ignore everything until it's your time to talk. I would say spiritually, we all have those five things. Some of us are so spaced out, we never hear God. Some of us have selective listening. We're only listening to the, the comfort of God and not the correction of God. Some of us are pretending to listen to God's voice, but we're really not wanting to listen at all. So we just go through the motions. Some of us only listen for certain words, and then some of us are so self-centered that God can never get his word into us. And we have to learn to adjust 
the attitude of our heart to listen, not just to God, but to our spouses, to our kids, to our parents, to our friends, to not just hear. The world hears. We need to have a heart to listen. And listening has to do with the ears, the eyes, the heart, the attitude. Meaning I'm picking up your body language. I'm picking up your emotions. We had a situation in our pre-service prayer time that one of the young men on our worship team, I could tell, as soon as he started giving this prayer request, I could pick up his body language. While I wasn't hearing his words, I was listening to his heart. I was paying attention to all of him, and I could pick up not just what he was saying, but the heart behind what he is saying. That's listening. And with God, he, ha- he speaks, but there's emotions behind his words. There's, there's an attitude behind his words. He's trying to communicate heart to heart to you. So we have to learn to adjust our hearts to listen to the heart of God. And Samuel did six things in the scripture. Number one is this. You need to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit feels at home. You need to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit feels at home. If you're going to listen to the voice of God, then you need to create an environment where the Holy Spirit feels at home. I mean, if he doesn't feel at home, if he doesn't feel welcome, if he doesn't feel comfortable, how is he going to have a hold a conversation with you if he's timid about the environment you're in? Meaning if your environment is rough and ragged, if your environment's full of vulgarity and violence and, and division and offense and bitterness, if your environment is full of things that are opposite the Holy Spirit, why would the Holy Spirit ever want to sit down and have a conversation? I mean, there's some environments that I walk into, the environment's just off. Like if I walk into uh, my living room, my living room is pretty set up. We have scriptures on the wall. We have a TV above the fireplace. We have all my books in there, which is, I like my books sometimes more than my kids. They're my beauty. That's my heart, my books. So it's an environment where I feel comfortable. If I go into RJ's room, we ain't having a conversation up there. My nose is going to be burning. My eyes are going to be looking around to see what's skirmishing around the floor. Like it's an environment that's not prepared for people to come in and have a conversation. The same thing with the Holy Spirit. There's certain environments where he doesn't want to come have a conversation because it's so disruptive, sometimes so hateful, sometimes so divisive that why would he want to come and dwell in that atmosphere? So you have to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit wants to be there. Samuel here in verse 3, he was lying down in the presence of the Lord. He had made himself at home where the Holy Spirit dwelt. Meaning the environment is important. The atmosphere is important. And so I know at least two of the atmospheres I know the Holy Spirit likes to be in. One, I know he loves to be in an atmosphere of his word. Like I know that when I open up God's word, it creates an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit loves it. These words were written by him and for him. He loves to hear his word read. He loves to be in a place where God's people are reading God's word. The problem with our culture is we have the word of God everywhere except in us. We have Bibles all over the place. We have Bibles even in our schools. We have Bibles in our churches. We have Bibles on our nightstand. We have Bibles in our kitchen. We have Bibles everywhere. But it doesn't matter where the Bible is if it's not in here. And I'm trying to create an atmosphere in me that's full of God's word to memorize his word, to study his word, to read his word, to share his word, to put it on the walls of my house, to put it in my office, to put it in my car. Why? I'm creating an atmosphere I want God to speak in. But two... I know he loves an atmosphere that's full of peace. 
Meaning the Holy Spirit is easily grieved. He doesn't like atmospheres full of division. He doesn't like atmospheres full of bitterness or offense. So one of the things I have to do is make sure I'm keeping my heart empty of any offenses. Because I know he's a Holy Spirit. He's grieved by sin and offense. So I'm working to make sure I keep my heart with the right atmosphere so he can dwell in 2 Chronicles 5. That Solomon is dedicating this temple unto the Lord. And one of the first things he does, he makes sacrifices to God. Two, he begins to read the law. And as he does those two things, the Spirit of God dwells in the temple from that point forward. So for the Holy Spirit to dwell, I know he loves hearing the word of God read. Now I know he loves me to sacrifice with praise. So the question would be, what type of environment are you creating in your life, in your home, in your family for the Holy Spirit to dwell in? If he shows up, is he going to find a, a place of the word? Is he going to find a place where he says, you know, I can make my home here? Or is he going to be like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. I, I, uh, this is a little uncomfortable. I want my life to be a place the Holy Spirit is comfortable in, where he's in joy in. But number two, if you want God's attention, give God your full attention. If you want God's attention, give God your full attention. We want God's full attention, but we don't want to give him our attention. That, what that means is we want to go through the motions. We want to put as little effort in as possible, but we want God to put forth the full effort that he can possibly do. And it works the opposite. If I give God my full attention, then I'll receive his attention in my life. What was Samuel doing? He was in the temple ministering unto the Lord. He was ministering to God. Nine times out of ten, we come to church asking God to minister to us. Samuel comes to church wanting to minister to the Lord. Our first ministry as people is unto God. Your first ministry is not to people. And there's been this shift in church world in the last 40 years where we said, well, the church exists for the lost. No, 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 the church exists for God. And until you get that point, you can never reach anybody who's lost because you have no power to reach them with. Our first ministry is unto God, meaning we're going to give him our honor, our lives, our mouths, my heart. I'm giving him worshiping with all of my mind, my heart, my soul, and my strength. My first ministry is unto the Lord. Mary and Martha. Jesus goes in, Martha's serving, Martha's doing all the stuff that we do in church world. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, Martha's mad. What is she doing? She was sitting there worshiping Jesus. Why is she doing this? I'm serving, I'm doing all the work. Why are you not saying anything to her? He said, whoa, Martha, you're too distracted. You're too worried. You're too troubled. Mary's doing the best part. And I would say most of us, if we looked at our lives, if we looked at our churches, we're full of distraction. We're worried. We're troubled. Yet Mary was not distracted, not worried, not troubled. And he's not saying Mary's better than Martha. He's saying it's Mary before Martha. Before you can serve, before you can reach out, before you have to sit at the feet of Jesus. Why? He wants our unhindered, undivided attention so he can pour his unfiltered love into our hearts. And once he, I know his love for me, it transforms and changes everything else. This morning in our pre-service meeting, Pastor Brian shared an incredible little devotion. Will you share that real quick? Because this principle is so key that until you minister unto the Lord, it's hard for him to minister to you. But once you begin ministering to the Lord, it transforms you because then he releases everything he has into you. So in John chapter 4, uh, you guys are very familiar with the Samaritan woman coming to the well. See, so the well represented 
the, the life center of a, of a city. It was where everyone came to actually draw from, draw hope from, draw peace from, because they would bring that water, they would go and quench their thirst, but they would bring that water back to their home and to those around him, them to actually quench their thirst. And so what that represented was a life-giving place for people to draw from. And you know the story, the Samaritan, uh, Jesus makes his way through Samaria. He sits at this well. The Samaritan woman comes to the well, and when she comes, she, she is starting to draw from the well, and Jesus looks at her and he says, will you give me a drink? Many times I think what we do is we come to church, and we've made church about being self-centered worship rather than God-centered worship. See, that whole story is about Jesus looking at the Samaritan woman. What will you do for me? See, we come to church so many times and we're saying, what will you do for me instead of what will we give to him? So we've got to turn this thing around and have that, that, that mindset and that approach of I'm coming to give something to God. I'm coming to offer to him something and turn it away, away from being a self-centered worship to a God-centered worship. Amen? Amen. That's good word. See, because when we worship, we give God our full attention. We look intently into his heart. We listen to what he's saying, and we tune our hearts into, our, into his heart. See, worship focuses our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our lives around God's perfection, power, and love. So worship changes my focus from what I'm going through or what I'm looking at to what God is doing and who God is. So much time we spend our time looking and looking and looking, just like Martha, you're looking at what needs to be done, you're looking at this, you're looking at that. And Martha says, I'm not, or Mary says, I'm not going to look at those things, I'm going to just look at Jesus right now. And when I look at Jesus, it changes my mind, it changes my heart, because you will become whatever and whoever you worship. Whatever you give the most attention to is who you're going to become. If you give your attention to things that are shifting and changing, you'll be a shifting and changing person. If you give your attention to social media, you'll be a person just like social media. You'll be a timeline that's continually scrolling and changing. If you give your attention to social media, you'll continually be looking for affirmation of likes and comments and dislikes. But if you give your attention to Jesus, you become like Jesus. You find your affirmation, you find your identity, you find your value, you find your love. And so if you want to hear God's voice, one, create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit wants to dwell, but then two, give him your full attention. Minister unto the Lord. We do that through corporate worship. Corporate worship is nothing more than drawing your attention back to the king upon the throne. All week long. Your heart is shifting and looking at all the things going on in your life. It's looking at your job, your finances, your kids, your school. It's looking at everything. And you come to church on Sunday, we draw our attention back to where our help actually comes from. Sometimes in worship, I actually imagine like there's a throne in my heart. And look at all the things that are occupying the attention of my heart. Right now, like our, our lives, we have Alicia's about to turn 18. She's graduating. She's going to college. The twins just turned 16. Arjun's about to go to high school. And I'm looking at all these things that are shifting in our life, which has my attention. And I literally start taking those things off the throne of my heart. Because see, what's on the throne of my heart is not what I say is on the throne of my heart. It's what's occupying the attention of my heart. So I start moving things off my heart. And I literally, I begin to worship and place Jesus back in his rightful place. Well, then he dictates my emotions. He dictates my opinion. He dictates my thought life. He dictates my relationships. He dictates my conversation. He dictates my speech. Why? Because corporate worship draws my attention back. See, worship is not just the response. See, so many times we think, well, if worship's good, I'll respond in worship. Worship is an invitation and a response to the presence of God. 
When I worship, I'm inviting God's presence into my life, but I'm also responding to his presence. Now, personal worship is where I realign my life along his love. My best worship moments, I love worship corporately. Like this past weekend, I was doing a revival in Russellville, and I was just, I was amazed. I love hearing Jesus, my king, worshiped. I love hearing the voices of people celebrating the gospel of Jesus through song. I love hearing us worship Jesus and lift up his name in a corporate setting. But my best worship moments come when it's just me and him. Because you may not know this, I'm the best worship leader I've ever heard. (laughs) Melissa Dollarson has nothing on me. Those personal worship, before I ever open God's word, I minister to to God first. Before I ever seek to receive from him, I minister to him first. And what that means to me is I'm going to bless his name. God, your name is a strong tower that I can run into. In my times of trouble and struggle, I can run into your name. Your name is the name that's above every other name. You're the name that I can call upon in my brokenness. Your name is sweeter than honey on my lips. Your name, God, produces mercy and grace in my life. God, your glory is going to reign forever. God, and then I just begin to bless his name. Then I get to thank God, thank you so much. Just for the gospel that moved me from sinner to saint. Moved me from brokenness to being whole. God, thank you for the gospel that has transformed not just my life, my whole family tree. God, thank you for my wife. Father, Toya is one of the greatest blessings and gifts I could ever have received from you. She's my greatest spiritual gift. Father, thank you for my kids. Yes, even my teenage kids. Father, thank you for my church. Thank you for the elders of this church who believe in me and trust me to lead. Father, thank you for our staff and our lay pastors. Father, thank you for the friends that I have that that speak life into me and speak encouragement. And I just begin thanking God for all these things that he's given me. Why? It blesses him to know that we're grateful. And then I get into, and God, if all else fades, you're all I need. If you took away every blessing I have, Father, if the church went away, if Toya went away, if the kids went away, if my friends went away, if my health went away, and it was just me and you, that's more than enough, I'd still be happy. That's how I bless his name. I minister unto the Lord. I sing, I'll drive to Collinwood. There is nothing in Collinwood except for one raggedy restaurant and one decent coffee shop. But you know what is there? A 30-minute drive with no one else to distract me from God's presence. I look to the windshield and I drive, I, hit the, I leave Alabama, I hit the glory land of Tennessee. The grass is greener, the sun is brighter, the, the sky is clearer. And I let God speak to me because I'm giving him my full attention. If you want God's attention, give him your full attention. Number three, God often speaks the loudest when we're the quietest. God often speaks the loudest when we're the quietest. And and I'll say this, silence is not your enemy, silence is your friend. And we live in a day and age where we are scared to death of silence. We spend most of our time trying to find ways to fill time that is silent. We turn on the radio, we turn on the TV, we turn on social media, we turn on YouTube, we turn on Spotify, we turn and think, we call friends, we text people. Why? Because we're scared to death of silence. You know why we're scared to death of silence? Because we're scared to death of what God may say. We're scared to death he may actually ask us to change something in our lives. 
We're scared to death he may actually say something to us that makes us uncomfortable. But it's in the silence that God speaks the loudest. Bernie Cross was this guy who recorded all these nature soundscapes for years. And it used to take him, I think, 16 hours to record one hour of unpolluted nature sounds. So you see the sounds for, for movie soundtracks and movies and TV. So 16 hours today, he said it takes him 2,000 hours to record one hour of unpolluted nature. What do you think that means to us? It means we never have any time that's unpolluted with sound. Which means the enemy, who's the prince of the air, is polluting the air with sound to distract us from the sound of the voice of peace. One of my favorite authors, uh, authors, Henry Nguyen, who's this Catholic mystic, talks about silence. He said, the reason pastors are so burnt out, he says, because they talk too much, which I agree. But he says, there's a fire inside of our bellies that the Holy Spirit starts. And it's our job to keep this fire burning. He said, the only way the fire can really get out is through our mouths. So when we open our mouths, the heat begins to come out. And if you talk too much, the heat begins to lose temperature. But if you can remain silent, it stirs the embers inside of you and burns the fire deeper and hotter and brighter. So then God can begin to speak to you. A couple years ago, I went to a silent retreat Usually twice a year, I'll get away for two to three days just to spend time praying for you as a church, praying for our team, just praying, asking God to show us and reveal to us what's going on next in the world. Even this past 2020 with the pandemic, me and the elders, I spent time in prayer. I came back. I said, we needed to save some money. I didn't know what was going to happen, but God showed me, hey, this is the season not to spend, but to save money. We changed our whole financial structure to create a bigger emergency account and set money aside. Then what happened? The pandemic happened. That all came from this silent retreat where I literally went to a monastery in uh, outside Louisville, Kentucky, somewhere where Thomas Merton lived and wrote and studied. And it was a silent retreat, no talking for three days. I walked the hillsides of Kentucky. They had a little stations of the cross. These priests, these monks would pray six times a day, every single day. They'd pray through the Psalms in two weeks. All the Psalms. 150 psalms in two weeks they prayed through. And it was a, just a, a vow of silence for me. And what I learned was my life was extremely polluted with too many voices. And coming in that moment of silence, I learned that the only voices that make a difference to me are the voices I choose to speak into my life. And I allowed too many voices in my life. And so do not be afraid of silence because God still whispers. Look at your neighbor and say, God still whispers. So if I'm going to hear somebody whisper, there's two things that need to happen. Either one, I need to cut down all the other sound and noise. Or two, I need to move closer. I personally believe that God chooses to speak through a still small voice or through a gentle whisper because his desire is not as much to talk to us as it is to have us close. And so he chooses to speak through a whisper to draw us closer and closer so then he can speak to us. It's almost like our kids. Our kids, we're, we, we show a lot of PDA, personal displays of affection or affirmation. And so the girls are older now. Everything's gross. Like, hey, babe, give me a kiss. No, dad, that's gross. I'm like, look, you, you say that so you want money. Like when you want money, it's not gross anymore. So I'll, I'm like, babe, just give me a kiss like on the cheek. Like, and so they'll get close and I'll just kiss them. And they get so mad. Well, what's happening is I'm drawing them closer because I want 
those I love to be as close as possible to me. And so God will speak through a whisper just to keep drawing us closer and closer and closer because it's not his voice that's important as it is his presence wrapping around me to affirm me and bring me strength and joy and peace and hope and love. So if you can't hear God's voice, move closer. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Draw closer. Samuel said, I'm going to sleep in the temple of the Lord. I'm going to draw as close as I can so a guy can draw as close as he can to me. Four, we can all hear God's voice, but we all need help discerning his voice. Look at your other name and say, we can all hear God. That's how we get saved. The world can hear God. Samuel heard him. He wasn't even saved. He didn't even know God. But we all need help discerning his voice in our lives. He heard him three times. He didn't have a problem hearing God's voice. He had a problem discerning that it was God and discerning what he was saying. And so we all have the ability to hear God, but it takes a community of believers to discern God's voice. So what did he do? He was hearing God, but he ran to Eli, who was a mentor, a mature believer. And he said, hey, here I am. He said, hey, go back. And he kept going back. Finally, he said, whoa, let me help you. I'm not calling you. It must be the Lord. Maybe, maybe God is speaking to you and talking to you right now. And so he helped him unpack that. And he said, if you hear the voice again, if you hear God speak to you again, simply say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So he heard God, but he needed people in his life to help him unpack what God was saying. See, we can all hear God individually on our own, but we need each other to discern God and to obey God and to apply what God has said. There's a move in spirituality church world. People say, well, I know Jesus. I don't need church. I'm good. You know what that means? You are deceived. You're either deceived or you're arrogant, both of which I'm going to stay far away from. Because I know many great men of God who could hear God clearly, and at some point they missed it. And they missed it, not because they didn't hear God correctly, but they discerned God incorrectly. And the reason they discerned him incorrectly is because they were arrogant enough to think they didn't need anybody else. They were the man of God, and they didn't need anybody else. And as soon as we come to this place where I can hear God, I'm good. I don't need anybody else in my life. That's when you start moving the wrong direction and listening to the wrong voices. Meaning you can hear God. But who do you have in your life to help you navigate and discern what he's actually saying and speaking to you? Like my life, I've watched too many pastors, I've watched too many people get sideways, get outside of God's will, get outside of God's word, all because they thought, I've made it. So in my life, I love the way we have accountability at the church. Like I'm the lead pastor of the church. My job is to hear God's voice and know the vision for our church. But we have elders in place that they help me discern, uh, yes, but I don't know about that. They help us discern what God is saying because the belief is we have four elders, including myself, that if the same Holy Spirit is in Wayne Stanley, that's in Ray Sartain, that's in Aiden Batson, that's in me, if it's God speaking, he's going to speak the same thing to all four of us. Meaning if one person says they heard God, the other three doesn't, guess what? Somebody missed it. And I can miss it. You can miss it. Elders can miss it. But in the body, we have a balance of checks and balances that keep us from moving outside God's will by chasing the wrong things. 
Because we all have a selfish nature. We want to chase things we want instead of things God needs and desires. So we have elders to protect the church from anybody being arrogant or deceived. But also I have my wife who is my Holy Spirit. She tells me when I should be convicted. She tells me when I should be corrected. She tells me when I should be encouraged. She helps me discern God's voice in my life. Why? The Bible says we've come together, we're one. So why would God ever speak something different to her than he's speaking to me? Why would God speak something different to me than he's speaking to her? If we're one and we have the same Holy Spirit in us, then why would we ever be on a different page? Which means I have somebody to help me discern if you're humble when you miss it or not. Because it's not a matter of hearing God, it's about discerning what is he saying to you. And then two, how are you going to obey it? Number five, prayer invites God to speak and intervene in our lives. Eli tells Samuel, if you hear God speak again, just simply go back and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Twofold, he's praying, he's speaking to God, and he's listening. That's prayer. Prayer is simply a conversation with God where you speak, he speaks. He speaks, you listen. You speak, he listens. It's a conversation. So many times our prayer life is one-sided. We try to throw something at God and we leave. I learned years ago, if I listen more than I talk, more prayers get answered. If I listen more than I talk, I mean, right, when I, 10 years ago, I'd pray, God, you know, I need wisdom for this. I, God, what about this? God, I need advice on this. I need guidance on this. I would pray and they'd be like, okay, amen, and I would leave. And I got convicted one day because God said, it's like you're calling me. You're telling me what you need to say, but then you hang up the phone before I get a chance to talk. And that's why Samuel here said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then he stopped talking. Do you realize his prayer was, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Six words. Six words. And out of those six words, God began a conversation with him that transformed all of Israel. Prayer is simply inviting God in, into your heart, into your life, into your spirit. It's that simple. Why? Because we all have free will. For me, prayer is just wrestling between wills. God has a will. We have a free will. God's a gentleman. He's not going to push himself into our situation. And so what happens is we need to invite God into our situation. I need to invite God into my marriage. I need to invite God into my kid's life. I need to invite God into my mind. I need to invite God into my heart. I need to invite God into my situation and circumstances. I need to invite him in. So prayer is this invitation saying, God, I'm letting go of my will. I'm letting go of my control. And I'm asking for you to come in and control this situation. Like that is prayer. But so many times we think prayer is me trying to control God by telling God what needs to be done. Like, I don't need to control God. God knows what he's doing. I need to tell him what I need and then shut my mouth long enough to have him speak. Max Lucado calls it this windows of heaven concept of prayer. So he said, imagine that you're walking through this room and the room is completely dark. You're stepping on Legos, you're stumping your toe, like you're walking through, you're grasping, you're groping for anything. You can't see, so you're wandering around. And much like most of us, many of us in life are walking around in the darkness. We don't know which way to go. We don't have any wisdom. We don't know. We keep falling into the same temptation. We keep stumbling on the same things, getting hurt by the same people. We keep stumping our toe and, and walking through the dark. But say you're in that room and somebody all of a sudden gropes and they find on the wall a curtain. And they slide that curtain back and then they see some 
mini blinds and they pull the mini blinds and all of a sudden there's this window and this light just shines into this dark room. And they open the latch of the window and they open this window up and this breath of fresh air just comes into the room. A room that was stagnant and stale and dark is now full of light, full of hope, full of air, full of oxygen. He says prayer is like these windows from our world into the spiritual world. We're groping around the darkness, but when we start to pray, we begin to open up these curtains and open up these blinds and open up this window so there's a fresh air of the presence of the Lord in our lives and there's light on our situation and circumstances. What happens is so many times people don't pray and they keep groping through the dark, but if you learn to pray, it opens up the windows of heaven. Literally, Jesus told the disciples, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what he's saying is there's this tension between heaven and earth. And prayer is the, the connection between the two that opens the windows to connect the two together. That if I need something on earth, it has to be released from heaven. If I need something on earth to be changed, it has to start in heaven. And prayer opens up that window so the two are connected. And prayer is the invitation to open up the window and God say, God, come in. God, I'm opening up the window. Speak into my life. Speak into my Prayer is an invitation, not a command. So if you want to hear God speak, you need to learn to establish not just a prayer life, a lifestyle of prayer. It's amazing. I'm watching me and Pastor Dillman talking about there's a church back home in Nashville, Long Hollow Baptist Church. Robbie Galati's been there uh, probably 10 years now, great pastor, Bible teacher, and they're in the middle of revival. Since the beginning of the year, they've baptized a thousand people. A thousand people. And he equates it all. They started a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights at the beginning of the year. And I watched him tell his church this. He said, if you love your church, you'll come on Sunday. If you love your preacher, you'll come to the midweek Bible study. He said, if you love Jesus, you'll come to prayer meeting. I watched him say that. I was like, that is bold, but that is true. Because prayer is an invitation, not just in my life, but into our church. Jesus, we want you to be the center. We want to, we want to, many people say, we're going to make space for the Holy Spirit. No, we don't want to make space for the Holy Spirit. We want to give the Holy Spirit the church. God, this is our church. I'm not the senior pastor. You're the senior pastor. The only way you can be the senior pastor is to an attitude of prayer where he lets you in. Jesus, we all heard, Jesus, take the steering wheel. Jesus can only take the wheel through prayer. That it opened up my life. Jesus, you take control. Prayer is the invitation for God to move and intervene and speak into our lives. But if you want to hear God speak, the last thing Eli did was he was obedient to what God told him to do. Even when it was hard. Even when it was uncomfortable. Even when it may have cost him a relationship with a father figure slash mentor in his life. He was obedient to the point of losing what was important to him. So if you want to hear God speak, you must be obedient to the last thing he told you to do. If you want to hear God, so many people, man, I, I remember like two years ago, I hate telling altar stories because they're probably going to listen at some point. I was at the altar. There's a situation, young man was having a child with a woman. They weren't married, didn't plan on getting married. And he said, hey, I just need God to bless our finances for this kid. And da, da, da. I said, hey, well, you know, we can pray for that. But if we want God to bless something, we might want to do it God's way. God doesn't bless my way. God blesses his way. I said, so we know the last thing he told you to do was get married. So how about, we'll pray, but how about you two commit to getting married? He said, nah, bro. It's like, who says that? 
nah, bro. And then I watched the whole thing. What he was saying was, I want God to do something new, but I'm going to be obedient to what he said last time. So many of us, we keep going the wrong direction, and maybe sometimes you need to go back to square one. What was the last thing God told you to do? And did you do it? For some of you, they may be going back to a relationship and asking for forgiveness for something that happened. Listen to this. Some of you, and this is, this is a strong word, some of you need to go back to the last church you were at and make it right with your pastor before you keep tearing up other churches. You're wanting God to speak now. You're like, well, God's not speaking. It must be something wrong with this church. No, what's wrong is the last time God's told you to do something, you haven't done it, and you keep trying to change locations, trying to get him talking new. God speaks to those who are obedient. So go back to the last thing God said. My pastor taught me this years ago, and it changed my life forever. If I'm in a season where it feels like God is not speaking, I will go back to the last time I heard God speak, and I'll replay that through my mind. I'll go through my journal, and I'll say, what do I need to do to make this right? Because when I make that right, it opens up the windows of heaven. God says, I can trust him with more. Because trust is based off commitment and obedience. So if I want God to trust me with something new, I have to be obedient to what he said before. And the voice of the Lord is that important to me. If I'm going to tune my antenna, if I'm going to tune my heart to have the right attitude to listen, I have to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit wants to be. That means there's certain movies I'm not going to watch, certain shows I'm not going to watch, certain music I'm not going to listen to. Then I'm going to give him my full attention. I'm going to give him my full attention in my personal life, in my corporate life. I'm not going to worship because I feel like I'm going to worship because I'm giving my king my attention. And then I'm going to embrace the silence because silence is where God has spoken to me probably the most in my life. But then I'm going to create an atmosphere of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer where I'm going to seek to invite God into every area of my life. I'm not going to hold any dark spaces. I'm going to give him everything. And then I'm going to be obedient to whatever he says. I'm going to be obedient to him. Because Jesus was obedient to death. The least I can do is be obedient to what he has spoken. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Just a quick moment. We start our Christian journey with the voice of God. Literally, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, unrighteousness. He reveals to us shame or guilt or offense or bitterness. And then he draws us to the perfection of Jesus. He draws us into the Christ through the gospel. But from that day forward, it's this conversation of having the right attitude in my heart to listen to what God has to say to me. So all across this room, my prayer is not to be the voice of God into your life. My prayer is that I can provoke you to adjust the attitude of your heart so the Holy Spirit can be the voice in your life. He can lead you. He can guide you. He can teach you. He can comfort you. He can console you. He can correct you. He can move you. He can feel you. He can love on you. But in order for that to happen, you're going to have to adjust the attitude of your heart. And these things that Samuel did will transform you and transform your life. 
be able to receive everything God has in store for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these, your people. Father, I just pray for a spirit in this church, much like Samuel had. We want to create an atmosphere where you're pleased to dwell in, that you, want to, you feel at home in. And Father, we want to minister unto you, that we want you to be our first ministry, our first priority. We want to seek first you and all your righteousness. Father, we also want to embrace the silence and not try to fill our lives and fill our church and fill our minds with noise. We want to get rid of all the noise pollution so we can hear your voice above every other voice. And Father, we want to embrace you and invite you through a lifestyle of prayer, invite you to speak into our lives and intervene in our lives and intervene in our church and intervene in our families and intervene in our marriages, intervene in our kids and intervene in everything we put our hands to. And Father, above all, we want to be obedient to you in everything you speak. Father, give us an attitude and a spirit of humility and obedience to fulfill every dot of your word. Father, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.